To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, major developments within the last few hours. First off, the EU is starting legal proceedings against the UK over Boris Johnson's plan to go back on the Brexit divorce deal. The European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, has issued a letter of formal notice giving Britain a month to reply. The deadline lapsed yesterday. The problematic provisions have not been removed. Therefore, this morning, the Commission has decided to send a letter of formal notice to the UK government. This is the first step in an infringement procedure. That was the European Commission president there speaking at the EU summit that kicks off today, doing what they said they would essentially, giving Britain until the end of the the month reply and then starting legal proceedings if they haven't, which they haven't. Meanwhile, at home, we heard from the health secretary, Matt Hancock, in the last hour or so. He's announced tighter restrictions on social mixing in the northwest. That covers the Liverpool area, Warrington, Hartlepool and uh, Middlesbrough. So uh, across the north in general there. Uh, And he said that £7 million of funding would be provided to areas affected. Right, well, let's pick up on some of this with our guest today, Bill Esterson, who's Labour MP for Sefton Central and also Shadow International Trade Minister. Bill, welcome to the programme. Thanks with, for being with us today. Um, we'll talk about what's been happening on Merseyside in just a moment. But first of all, uh, that line from the EU, throwing down the gauntlet to the UK, really. What do you expect to happen next? Uh, well, uh, hello there, Roger and Sebastian. Thanks very much for uh, inviting me on the show and we had this remarkable situation where the uk government has um, decided to break international law on a, on an agreement that it negotiated it signed it put to the british people last year and it uh, it put into law and confirmed in the last few months that it was sticking to but um, the reality is that both sides need to stop the posturing and the threats and get around the table um, and, and reach an agreement and what would you like to see coming out of an agreement well, the British government and the EU signed an agreement that set out the basis of that agreement with the withdrawal agreement last year in the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, and we were told by Boris Johnson that it was an oven-ready deal, um, easiest in history to be signed. Uh, and that is the basis for, for the agreement. And that's what we need to get on and, 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 and negotiate and, and, and reach that agreement on. Because... Otherwise, it's creating enormous uncertainty for business and investors and, and it's having a profound impact on jobs in manufacturing and services for that matter. And uh, you know, they need to end that uncertainty and, and reach agreement. 
the, the reality though, Bill, is that there are a lot of sticking points still to be decided, not least state aid, not least fishing. Where does the UK have to give ground here? Well, that's what the arrangements were put in place to address, isn't it? That's why we had the uh, joint ministerial council and indeed, if needs be, a dispute settlement mechanism uh, to, to resolve these things, including binding arbitration. That was all settled um, in the agreement that was signed last year and then went into UK law. So the procedures are in place to sort these things out. The, the fishing can be sorted out that way. The alleged problems with state aid and customs clearances similarly, and I think it was interesting in the internal market bill, but the claims of uh, some kind of threat to goods travelling from Great Britain to Northern Ireland weren't dealt with in the bill at all. So it just suggests that it's just posturing by the UK government. And the, the posturing needs to end both in the UK and the, the EU. Um, and they need to get around the table because negotiations, people you know, people do make threats and sort of put things out in the public domain. And actually in private, they need to get, they need to get past that and, and, and sort this out. Yeah, but, but Bill, I mean, I understand your point about the mechanism for resolving this. But if you were in that room, if you were, if the boot were on Labour's foot at this point, would things like fishing be points you'd be prepared to concede on? Well, our, our priority—we're we, not in the room. We lost the election heavily. The government has an eighty-seat majority. So our priority is to make sure the government keeps their promise to the British people, which is of this oven ready uh, deal um, that, they, that, that, that they promised as recently as last December, and then put into law in. January. So, you know, our, our job now is to say, look, uh, move past these divisions, stop reopening them, and get on and reach agreement. And we're calling on the EU to do the same. I mean, actually, over the summer, the government did say that the EU was negotiating in good faith, and they repeated that uh, only two weeks ago in the, the Northern Ireland Affairs Select Committee and the evidence they gave there. So, we know this is possible, we know there's a lot of posturing going on. Um, and it really has got to the point where both sides have got to get around the table uh, and, and sort this out because there isn't very long left and jobs depend on it. And frankly, there's a much bigger problem with the pandemic, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about shortly, that the government needs to focus its energy on. So let's get this agreement sorted out so we can focus on saving lives and getting the economy back on a, on a sound footing. Um, by getting the right measures in place to deal with coronavirus. And, and what about this report? I don't know if you've seen it from Ernst & Young talking about the, the sheer amount of city jobs being transferred out of London and to European hubs like Dublin, like Frankfurt. Is there any hope of Britain winning those sorts of jobs back? It's a huge financial centre, as we know, London, and, and, and Britain can't afford to have that eroded. Yes, and I think manufacturing and services, the same point applies. That's why it's so important that the government and the EU work together to, to get a, an agreement as, as quickly as possible. And our financial services, the City of London, uh, our professional services more widely are fundamental to our economy. So it is really, really important that the sticking points are sorted out so that we can move on and, as I say, concentrate on the, on, on the pandemic. But the sticking points need to be sorted out. You're quite right to raise that. Um, but that's what has to happen in the negotiations. So no more posturing, get it sorted. All right, well, you mentioned uh, how important the other 
big crisis at the moment is, and of course it is, not least for you, of course, being a Merseyside uh, MP, you know now what's happened, that uh, uh, the, the health secretary has extended the quite harsh lockdown that we saw in the north of east England towards the northwest, including, I imagine, your constituency. Uh, what's your response to the tightening of measures there? Yes, they are. They are harsh restrictions, and it's going to cause increasing concerns, in, particularly in hospitality, um, but more widely than that. Um, but the reality is, when we've got you know, a rapidly escalating number of infections, and we're now seeing people uh, going into hospital, including into ICU, um, sadly, that's going to lead to more people dying. Um, the government needed to take action. So we had a, the Merseyside MPs had a conversation with the junior minister, Helen Waitley, last night. Some of my colleagues were able to join her again this morning, shortly before the House Secretary, Matthew Hancock, made the announcement to the House of Commons. And the points that we've made to the government are they need to tell the public, as well as us, what the evidence is for these restrictions. So they're saying households shouldn't meet out, uh, other than outs- uh, with other households other than outside. Um, pubs can only be open if they're serving food at table, restaurants similarly. Otherwise, it's takeaway only. These are quite significant changes, and they're going to have an economic effect as well as, uh, as hopefully doing something about health. But there's been a lot of, lot of trust um, and that's been a declining compliance from people. And I think a lot of it comes down to poor communication from government. So, you know, we saw this a bit the, the other day with Boris Johnson not knowing what the rules were in the North East when he was asked about it, and similarly with some of these other ministers earlier in the day. There needs to be absolute clarity, and there needs to be an explanation of why the government is doing these things, why they think they're going to work. Um, and, and if they do that, they've got a chance of people doing what they're asked to do, because... In the end, that's, that's crucial to getting a, the kind of changes and reduction in, in, in infection that has led to this point. And, I mean, on that, what about the COVID powers yesterday that Labour voted with the government to extend? Why did you not side with the Lib Dems and, and not back those measures? Well, we abstained on it, actually. Um, I mean, we do have, we do have grave, grave reservations about the lack of scrutiny for precisely the sorts of points I've just made that we need to see the evidence so that, you can, so that we can command public support. And that does include scrutiny in Parliament of what the government is, is proposing. And the Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, made that point in the statement he made before Francis questions yesterday. The government needs to make, be much better at bringing these regulations to MPs and peers for proper scrutiny rather than doing it after the fact. The problem was yesterday that if these powers hadn't been renewed, it would have restricted the government's ability to do things very quickly. So it wasn't when it was right to block them outright, but we have made our reservations clear and we expect the government to do better in bringing forward new regulations in future. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, by implication, by doing what you did, you're, you are kind of saying you kind of approve of the way the government's handling it, and that's the message the public will take. Well, we support the government in taking the actions that are needed to reduce infection to save lives, absolutely, and we, we support them in taking action to look after jobs and the 
wider economy, but that's a different matter from scrutinising and challenging where, they, where they're getting it wrong or aren't, aren't, aren't acting quickly enough, which has been sadly characteristic of, of what's happened over the last six months. So well, it's in that spirit that we've made the, yeah. the points that we have about um, scrutiny rather than opposition. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Roger, we start with a bit of good news. Well, yes, at least on the surface. Signs that restrictions are helping slow the spread of the virus. According to a study by Imperial College London, Ipsos Mori, who tested more than 80,000 volunteers as part of the country's biggest survey into COVID. Now, the results show the R rate, remember that, which measures how many people each infected person passes the virus onto. According to that, it fell to around 1.1 from 1.7 in late August and early September. It also found, however, infections increased substantially across the country. The virus is still spreading, with an estimated one in every 200 people infected, but at least perhaps not doing as badly as we have been. Yeah, I'll take any positivity I can get at this stage. And then we talked a bit about the rules, uh, the uh, way of um, differentiating what you're meant to do in different parts of the country. The I now reporting that the government is considering a three-tier system to simplify those local lockdowns. It could see areas in England classified from Tier 1, which would be the tightest restrictions, places like Bolton, Tier 2 for less tougher measures, and then Tier 3, which would be the rest of the country that's not under local lockdown. That comes with concerns that the current system is maybe a bit confusing. And then you had even the Prime Minister getting caught out earlier in the week. So maybe, I don't know, just maybe that proves a point. Mm, yeah, but if they spend as much time working out the different tiers as they do and actually working out what to do, perhaps things might get better. But what about migrants? Well, it's been another day, another eyebrow-raising story from the Home Office. Now, you probably remember yesterday, civil servants apparently had been considering sending asylum seekers to the South Atlantic, to Ascension Island, immigration centres there. But now, apparently, according to the Times, the government is considering processing migrants on disused ferries moored off the coast of Britain. The Mail says they could be built on the Isle of Wight, the Shetlands, or indeed the Isle of Man. The FT adds that one abandoned idea for reducing migrant numbers included using boats with pumps to generate waves that could force small boats back into French waters. I mean, that's never going to go wrong, is it? That, of course, was scrapped because of the risk of capsizing the boats. Yeah, a weird one, that is. I, I'm no uh, opponent of blue sky thinking, but the risk is always that you get briefed against and it all ends up in the papers and sounds ridiculous, which 
Of course, this does. And then that EY report that we mentioned briefly with Bill in the first part of the programme, financial services firms operating in the UK shifting about 7,500 employees and more than £1.2 trillion of assets to the EU ahead of Brexit, with more likely to follow in the coming weeks. That's the core finding of this report. So EY is tracking 222 of the biggest financial firms with significant operations in the UK. It found that the finance industry has added 2,850 positions in the EU since the Brexit vote. Dublin, Luxembourg, Frankfurt, they're the biggest gainers, as you might imagine. The issue here, of course, is that companies in London lose their passport to offer services across the EU from next year. They're going to have to rely on the EU granting what we call equivalence, and that is not guaranteed. So they're trying to get ahead of all of this uh, and cover themselves, basically, before uh, before those agreements are torn up and, and the replacement might just not be satisfactory. Yeah, and because we don't know what's coming, that's half the problem at the moment. And that, of course, is reflected in today's news, which is that the EU is starting legal proceedings against the UK over Boris Johnson's plan to go back on the Brexit divorce deal. Well, the EU has nailed its colours to the mast. It said that it is beginning legal action. We heard that from Ursula von der Leyen earlier. Joining us now is Dr Alan Wager, Research Associate at the UK in A Changing Europe. Dr Wager, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, OK, what does this actually mean, this legal position? Apparently the UK has got a month to respond, but I presume everything is going to be sorted out fairly soon anyway, one way or another, no deal or deal, so perhaps that becomes irrelevant. Yeah, so in a sense the legal reality of this is that if it ever did go to court, it would take uh, you know a couple of years to, to reach its conclusion. So in a sense it's just a, a, a sort of process thing that was, that was inevitable the moment that the UK... Uh, 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 you know, drew up this internal internal market bill saying they'd renege on sections of the of the withdrawal agreement. So this was expected. You know, the EU said we would, uh, if by the 31st of September we haven't, uh, you know, uh, uh, junked the internal market bill uh, clauses, they would they would do this. So on the 1st of October, von der Leyen has stood up and said that they will start, uh, you know, court proceedings. So, but but importantly, as you say, they've given a a month for the UK to respond. And this sort of month window, October, you know, we've had it many times before, but this is the moment, this is the window of opportunity potentially for, for a deal. Because, the, because the, 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 the logic of what the EU and the UK are both saying is if they come to a deal, a broader trade deal, then the internal market bill clauses wouldn't be necessary anyway. So we can just forget about, uh, forget this ever happened sort of thing and just, and just sort of move to the future. So it's, it's really a case of, it's really ramped up the pressure in October to try and reach some sort of some sort of uh, agreement for the future between the UK and the EU. Uh, and in terms of the process, then, what jurisdiction does this fall under? What is the logical conclusion? I remember from studying international law that a lot of it is is pretty fluffy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm no international. I'm no. I'm no. I'm no. I'm no international lawyer. You might know better than me. But essentially, essentially, this would go to the ECJ uh, as part of the as part of the uh, uh, agreed terms of the uh, withdrawal agreement. This is the process that is contained within the withdrawal agreement. If, 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 if disagreement between both parties escalates, then it goes to the ECJ. So in that sense, it's all part of the, and parcel of the processes that are in, in, in within the withdrawal agreement. So as you say, this isn't really necessarily that unexpected. This is the natural course of things that the, the EU... As a, you know, as a as a legal order is is reaching for for the next stage of the process as contained within the withdrawal agreement. But to some extent, I guess it's kicking things into the long grass because the grass is getting extremely long right now. I mean, if this whole process uh, is delayed anyway because the uh, internal markets bill 
which all this focuses on, is now in the House of Lords being dealt with there. Many people think it'll be absolutely savage before it comes back to the Commons, and that in itself is going to take a very long time. So uh, a lot of things being kicked into the long grass by the sound of it. Yeah, basically everyone, the House of Lords won't be able to uh, to meaningfully amend this bill and bring it back to the House of Commons until November anyway, which again creates this window of opportunity in October for a trade deal to unlock things. But we are in danger of having a situation of being in a sort of catch-22 here, where the UK says, OK, if we reach a trade deal, we won't need the internal market bill. And the, UK, and the EU says, well, if you keep this internal market bill, then we don't trust you to go to, 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 reach, to, reach, a, to reach a trade agreement. So we could end up uh, uh, in, in a bit of a sticky situation because the two things we are lacking are, are time, in the sense that uh, you know, it needs to be wrapped up uh, by the end of October. Both Boris Johnson and the European Commission and the, and the negotiators agree that we, but we, we need a deal by, by the start of November. And trust. We don't have very much trust on either side of, of, of the negotiations at the moment. I mean, what we do potentially have is the political uh, will to make it happen. And that's why, at the moment, you know, people that are watching these negotiations uh, are in a set of at one moment you say it's 60-40 likely for a deal, at one moment it's 60-40 against, because so much of this comes down to, you know, will, will, will Macron agree to a, a deal on fish, or, you know, or will Boris Johnson's political incentives push towards a deal? A lot of this is now coming down to, to politics, despite all the, all the legal talk today. So the UK strategy then of trying to put a bit of pressure on with this, uh, with this reneging essentially on the old part of the divorce deal, is, is there any sign that that is working? Well, yeah, there, there, there is potentially a sign that, 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 this, that, this, that that's working because it is pushing the, the European Union towards a sort of compromise position, and the compromise position is, is, is a negotiated deal. So in that sense, you know, you, you, and, and I've heard sort of, uh, you know, Labour MPs sort of, uh, you know, admit this in private, it, it has had the effect that the, that the UK wanted, and the UK government wanted in the sense of uh, that has increased the incentives for the, for the EU to reach a deal, and the compromise position has moved slightly towards towards the UK. And that's that's not to say that the compromises that will need to be made in the next sort of few weeks won't be mainly made by the by the by the UK. But it is to say that it is to say that the the UK government's willingness to sort of act fast and loose with the withdrawal agreement has sort of upped the ante in, in these negotiations and made it more likely that the that the EU will essentially uh, come to some sort of negotiated agreement. Well, just, just walk us through, for, for the sake of the perplexed, and I think there are probably many of us in terms of the choreography of what happens now. Uh, right now, the talks are going into what we assume is the final uh, moments. Then there's something called the tunnel, where they, they, they get together in a different way, and then suddenly come out of the other end of the tunnel, miraculously producing something, at least in theory, within a week or so? Yeah, so a lot of the same uh, elements of choreography are being touted as, as, as last time. You know, the tunnel, the idea that the two teams will go into the negotiation uh, room and sort of ham things out by the sort of European Council uh, in, in October to be agreed, potentially with some sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of moment between, between Johnson and another EU leader. You know, so we had, we had uh, Johnson and Varadkar, you know, walking around somewhere in the Wirral uh, uh, this, time, this time last year. You know, potentially it might be you know uh, uh, Johnson and Macron come some sort of entendre or something like that. That's the, all these things are being touted as part of the the theatrics and the choreography of the deal. But that's not to say that it'll be the same either. Be the same this time. There are some real sort of obvious sticking points on state aid and on fisheries 
that make it difficult uh, 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 to reach a deal that both sides can uh, can claim as a, can claim as a victory. And obviously, repeating the theatrics uh, of of last time, you're in danger of um, you know the audience saying pull the other one, basically. So it's it's, it's it, it, a lot a lot depends on on whether or not the the politics of it will land for both Boris Johnson and for and for and for key EU leaders. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.